have in my hand? Powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Just uh, turn to your neighbor and fist pound them. We don't want to shake hands or hug or anything. We might get, get, get sick again. <laughs> so it's a little fist pound there, huh? And also, if you would, take your phones out if you have Facebook. And would you check in and uh, go to uh, Jinx River Oaks Christian Church. It'll pop up there and just... Actually, the Facebook has changed it from Jinx to just River Oaks, comma, Jinx, Oklahoma which I didn't appreciate them doing that, but uh, they've done it. So you'll find it, but if you'll type Jinx River Oaks, it'll come up River Oaks slash Jinx. Don't do River Oaks Ignite. That's a kid page. So do the River Oaks, comma, Jinx, comma, Oklahoma, and just check in and let people know that you're here and uh, just tell them, you could tell them anything from starting a new series today to, man, we've got a fabulous preacher. You wish you were here uh, the music is dynamic. I don't know. What, however you want to lie to them, that's okay. Just put it on there. That's, <laughs> but it's a great way to spread us. You know, one person maybe not can do much, but through Facebook, you can reach a lot of people. So do it, if you would. Do that. It'll be, a, it'll be amazing to see uh, how many people can be reached in just one, one setting like that. Uh, they've estimated the number of people on Facebook, if it were a country, it would be the third largest country in the world. That's how many people are on it at any one time. It just is amazing, amazing, amazing. After the Rose. This is kind of a takeoff of the Bachelorette, the Bachelor or Bachelorette thing. Uh, if you can see the kind of the graphic is. But uh, we're not going to go that route. We're going to go a more biblical route, but uh, good title for the for the series after the rose. And uh, I found some humorous things about marriage. I thought I would talk about. We'll talk about marriage. We're going to talk about relationships today because see, this applies not only to marriage, but it applies to each of us in the process of developing relationships. And we're going to talk about how God put it together before we were born and then what he did for us after we were born because it's important that we see all of this so that God is in control of it all. Let me share some of these uh, fun things with you. Marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that's too warm besides someone who's sleeping in a room that's too cold. To keep your marriage brimming with love in a loving cup whenever you're wrong, admit it and whenever you're right, shut up. Marriage is like twirling a baton, turning handsprings, or eating with chopsticks. It looks easy until you try it. The speaker of a women's club was lecturing on marriage and asked the audience how many of us wanted to mother our husbands. One member in the back row raised her hand. You do want to mother your husband, the speaker said. Mother, the woman said. I thought you said smother. <laughs> okay, man, those didn't get nearly like the. I hope they would. Okay, how about let's go to our text, Ephesians chapter 4, 32, verse, through verse, chapter 5 and verse 2. If you have your Bibles open there, please. I'm going to be in those verses 
for the remainder of our time this morning. Ephesians 4, 32 through 5, verse 2. Everybody got it? Raise your hand if you have it. Let's, I see one hand. I see those hands. I see two. I see three or four. All right. Here we go. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. I want to show a video clip to you right right quick that uh, help us as we go into this uh, message this morning. Are the only ladies of the household, I hope, uh, I presume. There's no one else, Your Grace. Quite so. Good day. Good day. Your Grace. Your Grace. Please, wait. May I try it on? Oh, pay no attention. Only Cinderella. Scully. From the kitchen. It's ridiculous. It's hot. She's out of her mouth. <laughs> yes, just an imaginative child. Madam, my orders were every maiden. That's my child. end with that, especially wedding films or love films like that, they end with, they lived happily ever after. Life doesn't end that way, does it? It doesn't end with a wedding anyway. The wedding is just the beginning of a very complicated story between two people. Dave Harvey wrote a book entitled, When Sinners Say I Do. I want to 
quote from his book. He said, in, in ceremonies all over the world, every day without exception, it is sinners who say, I do. It is sinners who celebrate their 10th anniversary, their 25th, their 50th. For us to become more like Christ, we must reckon with the fact that we are sinners, forgiven, yes, but still battling the inward drive to turn away from God to ourselves. What if you abandon the idea that the problems and weaknesses in your marriage are caused by a lack of information, dedication, or communication? What if you saw your problems as they truly are caused by a war within your own heart? That's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? Our memory verse, 1 Peter 4, 8, is meant to be applied to every relationship. And we need to work toward reconciling relationships all the time. But I want to develop how two sinners can marry, stay together for many years, yet continue to do life together. Who has been mar- who was married? Maybe your spouse is already gone, but how many have been married uh, over fifty years, or would have been married over fifty years if your spouse was still living? Anybody? Your parents? All right. Sheila, good. Cindy and I celebrated our 40th anniversary um, last year in 17. It was great. It was awesome. I don't know how she's put up with me for that long, but I'm grateful. But I want to break down our verses we read earlier, and they're in Ephesians 4 through 5 2. And I want us to look at two, two aspects of this. You ever hear somebody say somebody was born to be your sweetheart? Destined to be, you're, you're only going to meet one person in life, and boy, that's, that's going to be your soulmate. Any of you heard that? Did any of you find that person? I better say yes. <laughs> yeah. Get those hands up. Amen. Yeah, you found them. Can you find them again? If that one dies, do you think there's another one? Don't limit God. Don't limit God. But I want to talk about the marriages we have now. You see, before we were born, God did some things. And then after we were born, He did some other things. And if we'll understand how all of that puts together, it's going to help us in our relationships and in our marriages. So the first thing I want you to see is before we were born, is that God loves us with a special Saving love. Now, in your text, go look at verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians 5. It says, Be imitators of God, as beloved children, walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Now, this is not the general love that God has for the world and the love that gives life and breath and food and rain and protection, families, jobs, evidences of His faith. It's rather a love that undertakes to save us effectively, infallibly. It does what needs to be done to get us forgiven and saved. That's the type of love that God has for us. Now, if you'll go to chapter 1 in Ephesians, just flip over in your Bible to chapter 1, in verses 4 and 5, the evidence that God loves us that way is found in these two verses. He said, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, 
He predestined us to adoption as sons. What does it mean to be adopted? It means that someone who is in need of a child would come and find you and then take you in the position you were without a family and bring you into a new family. It's a wonderful thing. Beautiful thing. It's true. And she's turned out somewhat good. Praise the Lord. So see, adoption is a good thing. We've been adopted, he says here, as sons of God. So God's first move was to love us with a special saving love. A love that caused Him to pursue us and made provision to bring us back to Him. Before we were born, God loves us with a special saving love. And secondly, Christ gave Himself for us as a sacrifice. Christ gave Himself for us as a sacrifice. Now look at the latter part of verse 2 in chapter 5, where it says, Christ gave Himself up for us in offering and a sacrifice to God. In Ephesians 2.3, we are all by nature children of wrath. We all deserve to perish and be, and be punished in hell for the sins of our thoughts and imaginations and attitudes, tongues and hands, our whole bodies. But God's covenant love for us moved Him not only to choose us, but to give His Son as a sacrifice in our place. Christ gave Himself up for us. You might want to underline that in your Bible. Because that's a key phrase that we should never ever forget. When you're down, when you're depressed, when, you, when things don't look good, when your finances are out of whack, or your kids are misbehaving, you know, just remember that Christ gave Himself up for us. You will make it. You will get there. I tell young people when they're getting married to put their one hand on the cross and then they can use the other hand and slap each other around, whatever you need to do. But you've always got to have an anchor. And the anchor must be the cross of Christ. If you have that cross in the middle and you're both attached to it, good things can happen. Great things can happen. And there's not a problem you'll face that you can't work out if you're both hanging on to the cross. But when you turn loose to the cross, then it uh, becomes a free-for-all. And I don't, want, I don't want her to have both hands. Just one. That's all I need. I don't need her with both hands. It'd be ugly then. But to fully understand this idea... In verse 25 of chapter 5, if you jumped over there, it will tell you, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. So, in love, He chose her. In love, He chose you and me to be His bride. And that love causes Him to lay down His life for us no matter what. Now, I, would say, I believe I'm safe in saying that all the men here that are married in this room or in this church would follow this same pattern that if they had to lay their life down for their bride, they would. Okay? You would do that. If you had to lay down your life for your children, you'd do that too. Not a problem. But sometimes we don't act that way, do we? Sometimes we get to arguing and fighting and got turmoil going on. Charles 
Colson or Chuck Colson was a prison ministry after he had been arrested and put in prison he then came out and developed prison fellowship uh, passed away some time ago but he, he was at a conference in 1994 in Dallas uh, and it was a conference of a prison camp or he tells a story of a prison camp I should say where 20 men came uh, they came in from digging and lined their shovels up against the wall as they always did because then the uh, the prisoner um, <laughs> workers they would then count the shovels to make sure they all got back and so he began to count and he noticed there was only 19 so he demanded that the one who didn't bring his shovel step forward no one did so then he threatened that if no one stepped forward, he would choose ten men at random and shoot them. A young man about the age of 19 stepped forward and was immediately taken away a few paces and shot as an example to the others. The difference between this boy and what he did for his friends and what Jesus did for you is that Jesus knew which ten he was dying for. And knew that they were unworthy. But he did it anyway. See, it's easy for me to die for Cindy. I may not be as quickly easy to die for somebody else. Does that make sense? But Jesus, knowing that we were sinners, knowing that we would be sinners, went ahead and died for us. So, before we were born, God loves us with a special saving love. Christ gave himself as a, for us as a sacrifice. And then thirdly, God was satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice. Again, to that second part of verse 2 of Ephesians 5. Christ gave himself up for us and offering a sacrifice to God as a fragrant or pleasing aroma. Now, there's times when you walk into the house, say around Thanksgiving time, and there's those pleasant aromas, aren't there? You can smell the turkey going. You can smell the different breads being baked or cakes or pies being made. I'm getting you hungry now just talking about it. Right? Uh, I was microwaving bacon. That's not the way you're supposed to really cook bacon, but I wanted some quick, and so I needed... Cindy said, are you cooking black-eyed peas in there? I don't know how in the world I can smell black-eyed peas. I started to say, yeah, no, it's just a couple pieces of bacon. That's all it was. When Paul calls the death of Christ for us a fragrant aroma, what does he mean by that? He simply means that it's satisfying. God was satisfied with what Christ did for us and was willing to do for us. God was satisfied that His blood, Christ's blood shed on the cross, would be sufficient. So it was a fragrant aroma to Him as He saw what Christ was doing. So before we were born, God loved you with a special saving love. Christ gave Himself for you as a sacrifice. God was satisfied with Christ's sacrifice. And the most important part of that is that your debt was paid. Your debt and my debt were paid. At the cross, amen.
So, He did all of that prior to any of us being born. But since we've been born, and how many of you have been born? Okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> Some of you hatched or what? <laughs> no hands up, okay. All of, you, all of us have been born. So after we've been born, three quick things. Number one, God put us in a saving relationship with Christ after we were born. It's in our saved relationship with Christ that we are united with Him like a vine is united to the branch. Now I want you to go to chapter 4, verse 32, the latter part of verse 32, and look what Paul says. Forgive each other. How? Just as Christ also has forgiven you. Just as Christ has also forgiven you. You see, if we are in Christ, and we are, those who claim to be Christians, those who claim to be Christ's followers, you are in Christ. And so that means we are in a relationship with Him. The difference between most religious faiths and Christianity is these want you to do stuff. And this one wants you to have a relationship. Okay? When you were dating your wife that you're married to now, you did stuff to make her love you and like you. And then you got married and, and you became one in flesh, one in life, one in heart, one in mind, right here. And you kind of quit doing those little things that you used to do to get her attention. Except on important holidays. We've got a new, a very important holiday coming up. Anybody know what it is? Easter. That's right. Amen. He's in deep trouble. <laughs> President's Day. That was the one I was hoping that you'd remember. God was gracious to me as a preacher and as a husband and as a man who doesn't remember things very well. I, used, I wear a name tag most of the time to remember who I am. My wife was born on February 14th. That's the next one coming up that's important for you guys. Called Valentine's Day. Got it? You got to get her something. What are you going to get her? Anybody got any ideas? Flowers, candy, a kiss? That's it? That's it? That's all you got? Must be a fantastic kiss. Cindy, what's the three you always tell me? What, what's the three you always tell me? Uh, chocolate, jewelry, fine jewelry. Fine jewelry. <laughs> yep. Chocolate and fine jewelry. There you go. If you'll follow that plan, you're in good shape. So yours is kiss. Okay. <laughs> well, fine jewelry is a lot. It's, it's, it's fine stuff. Anyway, enough of that nonsense. But relationship, it's very important that we develop the relationship. And that's what it is with Christ. He loves us, cares about us, and we then should reciprocate that care and love toward Him. Uh, if He hadn't done that, if, if He hadn't come and died for us, we really wouldn't uh, have an opportunity. 
to even understand what uh, being saved means. Uh, he would never be, have become satisfied. Uh, God would not have been satisfied with him, and the sacrifice wouldn't have been acceptable. But he did it. And I saw this statement this week, and I thought, I've got to get this in here. Nothing will stop God from saving us. Think about that. There is not an obstacle anywhere that will stop God from loving us and saving us. Including whatever you choose to do in life. If you, if you mess up every day and have every day, He still loves you. Still cares about you. If you're still doing the same sin you've done for 20 years, He still loves you. And He's still ready to save you. Isn't that the God that I want to... That's the one I want to serve. Isn't that the God you want to serve? Isn't it the God we do serve? Amen? So after we were born, God put us in a saving relationship with Christ. Secondly, God adopted us and made us rightful children. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of who? God. As beloved children. Realize that when God united you to Christ, you became with Christ a child of God. An heir to the throne. It's like when you're adopted into another family and you you didn't have a family, but you were brought into a family. And the family doesn't have to be wealthy. You just you come into a family. You've got brothers, you've got sisters, you've got a mom, you've got a dad. And so you have hit the lottery, folks. You've come in. I mean, how many stories do we see of these these, these uh, uh, tremendous athletes that we see uh, who were in terrible situations and got adopted by a family and then had opportunities that they never had before and maybe wouldn't have ever had. Man, how exciting is that to be a part of that? Guess what? That's what happens to us. We become that superb athlete that God brings out and, and brings us into His family and then gifts us with things and look at what we turn out to be. We turn out to be great people. Why? Because we follow the principles of God. And it's not accidental that God chose us this way and made us this way and adopted us. Because there are no unwanted children in the house of God. Sometimes if you're adopted, or even if you have your own biological kids, you sometimes sit back and go, man, I wish I hadn't had these. All there are days... There's days when you'd like to wring their neck. But you just keep on working with it, don't you? Uh, Beckham has a shrill scream when he screams. When his brother's chasing after him, it's that shrill scream and grabs you. Any of you got one of those at home? I don't know how Misty puts up with all of it day in and day out. But I didn't know how Cindy put up with it day in and day out. But it's amazing. But the thing I want you to understand is that even if you felt as a child growing up that you weren't wanted, there are no unwanted children in the house of God. Every child of God is planned from eternity and with great expectation and joy. So after, after we were born, God put us in a saving relationship with Christ. He adopted us and made us rightful children. And then thirdly, he, God forgave us for our sins. Look at verse 32 of chapter 4. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, 
forgiving each other just as God in Christ has done what? Forgiven you. This third point is to me the most important because without God's forgiveness, we would be lost, hopeless, and heading to hell. But in God's plan for each of us, He chose to pursue us, to save us, and to love us for all eternity. And I never understand that, why He wants to spend an eternity with me. He wants to spend forever with me. I don't get it. There's times I don't want to spend any time with myself. Because I'm so ashamed of myself, and I'm so, uh, not depressed, but I'm so discouraged about on and on, habit after habit, that doesn't seem to, I don't have the strength to break. Well, it's because I haven't surrendered it to the Holy Spirit completely. Partly, but not completely. And so Christ came, and He loved us, and He's forgiven us. And so we, in turn, should forgive others. If you don't get along with your wife or you're having a spat right now, get past it. Don't let it fester. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't be so angry that you, that you can't forgive. You need to make up. Making up's the best part, isn't it? It's the best part. We need to do more making up than we do the other. So what's all this? You know, I've been rambling this morning. What's all this mean? I'm glad you asked that. Would you have married your spouse if you had known beforehand all the ways that they would disappoint, hurt, or sin against you? Yet, this is exactly the knowledge God had when He loved us and chose us. He knew beforehand every sin we would commit and that we would uh, choose something besides Him. But He would want us to be saved anyway. And so because we've experienced that unconditional love, we've truly become transformed in how we are and who we are and what we are. Again, our memory verse, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Samuel Clemens more commonly known as Mark Twain, was a gifted writer, yet he held a deep contempt for Christianity. He once referred to it as a slaughterhouse religion because of the doctrine of the blood atonement, and he often turned his ridicule to those who believed the Bible. He met and fell in love with Olivia Langdon, a young woman from a God-fearing and good Christian family. And while they were courting, he appeared to have downplayed his lack of faith, and so she agreed to marry him. After their marriage, Mark Twain began openly to mock Christianity. And before too much time passed, Olivia stopped attending church. Mark Twain and his family suffered many great reversals, including a complete financial collapse and the death of a beloved daughter. At one point, Mark Twain, attempting to comfort his wife in grief, he said, Libby, if it comforts you to lean on your faith, do so. She replied very sadly, I cannot. I don't have any faith left. See, the people we spend most of our time with and the cultural influences such as books and music and social media Television, 
that we allow into our hearts and minds can have a dramatic influence on us. That's why Solomon warned of the dangers of wanting to spend time with those who are evil. In Proverbs 24, verses 1 and 2, I'll close with this. And I'm going to read in the King James because it just resonates. Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them, for their heart studieth destruction and their lips talk of mischief. Father, I ask you this morning to remind us, each and every one of us, how important it is that we learn to be forgivers, that we learn to be people who will love other people unconditionally. And the best and most important person in our life that we should uh, love that way and show forgiveness toward them quickly is the person we're married to. And yet, Father, at times we say things to our spouses that we never should say. We won't say to anybody. Why is it that we feel that we can say it to them? And God, sometimes it builds up walls. Sometimes it builds up resentments. Would you give us the courage to knock those walls down? Would you give us the courage to stand and be for you and with you what we need to be and for. And God, the most important aspect of our married relationship is that we are willing to forgive. We're willing to speak good words, kind words, merciful words, and not words that tear down, not words that belittle, not words that ridicule. Help us, Lord, if we've used those types of words to change our vocabulary. And we can do it today. We can start today. So, God, if there's one here in this room today that realizes they've maybe not been 100% supportive in their married relationship, maybe there's some single folks in our uh, meeting this morning who realize that how powerful words can be in developing those friendships and relationships in your life. Because, see, Father, the same principle applies whether we're married or not. Christ died for us. He had a plan before we were ever born. And after we came into this world, he had a, he had a secondary plan then to put into practice so that we could then be saved. And upon being saved, then we could make the changes we need to make. And so, God, in marriage... It's the same relationship, as Paul described it, between Christ and the church. We're the bride of Christ. We should be so in love with Him, so connected to Him, that we know what He thinks. We know what He feels. Now, I've watched with excitement, really. Couples have been married for many, many years. They just, they just know how each other is. So, Father, I'm just praying that we will have developed in our walk right now that kind of relationship with you. And if we haven't, then we begin today. But perhaps there's someone here that needs to make a decision of some kind, needs prayer, needs just just uh, an assurance that you're there. 
Would you let them respond this morning as we sing our hymn of invitation? In Jesus' name, amen.